Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnertwine. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. Hey everybody, welcome to Cutting for Sign, episode 58. Hell yeah. Good to see you, Daniel. Hey, likewise. Yeah. It's been a minute. Good to be seen by you. Like, seen you see me you, you, you know, see me in the like avatar sense <laughs> just literally <laughs> i just see you oh, okay thought we we're going deep sorry buddy it's okay it's fine <laughs> yeah. it's all right i was about as deep as a frisbee sometimes Do you have i feel a lot deeper of... but let's face it <laughs> <laughs> deep as a frisbee yeah it's you know that's that's actually people people these days i think sometimes i will fuck people me Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm going to deep dive. I'm going to go deep on this moment. And then I realize I'm just, I'm literally a skipping stone off of this little topic, but I call it a deep dive or I, you know, I'm like, just cause I put attention on it for five fucking minutes that I normally wouldn't. I think I'm deep diving. Yeah. That's a <laughs> like little bit how I felt. Ever done. That's how I felt about my bachelor's degree. I was like, what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> We're just getting started. What? That's funny you mentioned it. I was like, yeah. anytime you say you're deep diving on something, think about people who write master's theses and her theses and yeah. dissertations. I know. Those people deep dive. They deep dive. <laughs> they actually deep dived on something. Anyways. Yeah. What's up? Good to see you. Hey, we're going to have a guy named Sam Lamont on in a few minutes. He's got a great podcast called How to Human, which I'll let you introduce in a few minutes. But number one, I'm a little jealous of his uh, podcast title. Um, I've thought about that phrase a lot, like how to be, how to human, how to, you know, how to adult, all those kinds of things. And I, I think what has always stood out to me about his work is he's asking the question, like we, we feel unfinished getting to adulthood and we need help. And he's got a pretty rowdy story about his own entrance into adulthood and a decade of serious addiction, which we'll probably get into. Um, and then coming out of that and doing really well, uh, not without its, not without its problems and difficulties, which I think is also fantastic. Cause I think that is the full spectrum of humanity is, is we have fits and starts and rises and falls and all those things. So I'm, I'm really excited about speaking to Sam today. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Sam Lamont, you are an artist, writer, and host of the How to Human podcast, which explores how to acquire the psychological skills needed to thrive as an adult. How to Human was featured on iTunes, new and noteworthy, as well as Apple's top 200 podcasts in both health and self-help. Sam, you're also owner of Square One Studio in San Anselmo, California, and founder of Hello Humans a platform for storytellers to share their trials and capture the truth of what it means to be human. You are also co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Some Assembly Required. Sam, you describe yourself as a single dad, college dropout, and ex-meth head who, at the age of 22, came out of a 10-year bender with severe clinical depression, a two-year-old child, and zero life skills. You know that life is more than what we show the world on social media, that it's often much messier, but that the lessons learned from those messes are as valuable as anything on this adventure and creation of being human. Sam Lamont, welcome to Cutting for Stein. That was perfect. That was better than I have ever once put together. So I don't know where you got all that information from, but that was great. 
<laughs> the reason why I generally introduce myself as teen dad, ex-meth head, college dropout is because I'm just a guy. As our program grows, we're actually trying to move into just talking to more regular people. And uh, so that hasn't gone public yet, but that's what's happening. And the, the more I go on this journey, the more I realize it's really okay to be ordinary and average. And, you know, that's a scary thought for some of us. Like, I want to be unique and special. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a dad and a son and a friend and boyfriend. And um, I, I just like to keep it simple. You know, I think that that's something that's really valuable that's going on in life right now. And first of all, that's a very grounded move, it feels like. Um you know, for someone who could definitely be speaking to more and more and more known people, associate yourself with more and more known people. And um, I just think that in life right now, um, through social media, a lot of people who are famous and maybe would be put on pedestals, I'm noticing their personal lives are being shown in really positive ways, in negative ways. Um, but just the, the truth is coming out um, more about all people. And we're getting to know more regular people or unknown people are doing incredible things and those are getting light like through reels and things like that and then and just social media in general and then more known people are kind of getting level there's this leveling and i feel like that's happening right now where we're all just becoming human you know and the pedestals are kind of some are, are de um, like degrading and some of them are being built a little bit and there's just this nice I don't mean to be too much of an optimist or positive about this, but that's one lens I see things through right now. And it's one thing that I've enjoyed about getting introduced to your, um, to your content. I share, I share your optimism and, you know, there's still the bias of anytime somebody pulls out a phone, they're already ready for it. Uh, so I'd go even a step. <laughs> what do you like mean by, by the, that? By the time yeah. you go to film something for Instagram, you've already prepared. You're somewhat aware of how mm. you're going to yeah. look and, um, sure. you know, what's funny is that you mentioned like, yeah, you could just keep booking bigger and bigger guests. That was the plan guys. <laughs> and, and, yeah. uh, yeah. we tried it and we did it. And, um, I, I found myself more interested with the people I was talking at the bus stop than the guests that we were having on the show. And there's yeah. nothing against any huh. of the guests that we aired. Uh, I'll let you guys know we haven't aired a bunch of episodes. There was various problems we found. Yeah kind of inconsistencies with their integrity or their message or their message didn't match their life. Mm. And so we made the call not to promote mm. that episode. Um, and it's tricky because uh, you want to have people that know how to talk about themselves and know how to talk about their, their lives. But for me, um, life's just hard. I think it's actually hard for everyone, but existing is pretty exhausting at times for me. Yeah. And, um, I'm not like I'm a, I'm a guy who freaks out every tax season because I'm worried if I have the money to pay it, you know, and <laughs> I am a chronic underachiever, you know, I'm never at what I think my potential is. And that's been a hard journey to get yeah. comfortable with that. And yeah. Um, yeah. That can be a we, tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Right. And if we're going to, if I we're going to talk, yeah. if, the, if the point of our conversations, which, just reading about you guys, I think you guys are having very similar conversations. If the point is to talk about yeah. the real human experience, yeah. I have to have people that can speak to how do, how do you stay level when you, when you have to pick and choose what bills to pay? 
you know, how do you stay level when you get really yeah. afraid yeah. or really consumed by envy of somebody who's doing better than you? And like, so that's kind mm -hmm. of the, the next little direction we're going, but I, I can't wait to see what you guys have in store for the conversation. You know, well, you know, it's, sorry, real quick, Ron. Oh, go ahead. Man. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I, my wife and I joke because we, we talk about how hard it is. Like it, it's just hard. It's hard to do it. It's hard to live. It's hard to be, um, to, to face our own negativity. I, I listened to the gay Hendrix episode. Who I, I love that guy. I've loved his work. It's saved me out of some dark stuff myself. And I went on a run this morning and I, um, I was saying out loud, I love you, Ronnie. And, and specifically the parts of me that are underachieving, you know, I love you for starting things all the time, even though you start things all the time and don't finish them. I love it when you get, I love, you know, I started naming the part of me that was super codependent with my ex-wife. I started naming the part of me that was really codependent in the early parts of my marriage right now. And, and really being honest with myself as I ran and running is kind of my, my moving mantra. It's for some reason, my brain can just, uh, I guess the hamster, you know, gets on the wheel and like, can go a little bit more and I've got a little bit more bandwidth, but I, I agree, man. And I, I, my wife and I joke about how it's it's interesting that we live in a time when stories about UFOs are on the front front page <laughs> of the New York Times, and and this, the the Pentagon's talking about it. And it, but the reality is, our taxes would still be due, and our rent would still be due, and we would still face the normal day to day grind of stress of existence. Well, you know, plus and plus, like yeah, it's so easy to think that and be convinced in this like society and the zeitgeist of you are empowered. You can, your dreams can come true. Anything is possible. Yeah. It's really easy. Like Ron and I will talk, we have this image. I'm a painter and I, I'm working on this thing where there's a, the inner round table, you know, that inner um, table at which parts of my psyche are represented by different characters and people at that table. And and then when you move forward in life, you bring that whole table with you. And it's very easy, I think, to have that voice uh, and that character of ambition and possibility start to take over that inner, you know, and start to think they're just going to go forward with that, without leaving everyone. And taking a really close look, I'm sure you know this, Sam, this is just my ways of looking at this, you know, looking at that table, who's there, what characters are there. And for me, you know, I've experienced, as most people, you know, some pretty challenging things and some exceptionally challenging things in my young childhood. And that kid is stuck in time in a way and is growing up at their own pace. And they're coming with me with whatever I do. They're invited. They need to. And if I leave them too far behind, if I don't take care of them, you know, I am tense. I am not taking care of their unhealth comes out in the outer world. And so one thing that Ron and I work on and that I value quite a bit is recognizing okay, hold on. Are you really like the rock? You know, are you like Kevin Hart? Like, are you just, can you just go full on and everyone is there inside and you are going to take over the world? No, man. I got parts of me that need to be taken care of and need to, in very specific ways that I've learned through time and Ron's and my process, the process that you're going through, Sam, you know, we learn how to take care of ourselves. We learn these tools. One of your episodes recently, you were talking about how 
you just re- you realized and learned that you, being around people is really helpful for you in a lot of different ways. Well, that's a lesson and a tool that now you can go and, and move forward better, but it takes time and it's important to have all those pieces together. Does that, does that Absolutely. make sense? Yeah. I love what both of you just said. I want to touch on both. And Ron, I think you should lead us in a little bit of a guided conversation, <laughs> you know, guided affirmation or something, because I, I felt emotions come up when you were talking about mm. little Ronnie oh. and I'd, mm. I'd love to hear a little mm. bit more about that, but yeah, I, I agree completely. You know, like there's, there's what's like the, the ego ideal, right? Like when you, when you're feeling good and you close your eyes and you think about like who you are deep down and you're this amazing go-getter, you could do it all. You could totally go toe to toe with the rock or Kevin Hart. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then there's the opposite of that, which is like that you're a worthless piece of shit who's delusional. And the truth is somewhere in the middle Last night during our, our book club, which is part of what you were just talking about, I, I had a complete breakdown. Uh, I had to build mm. a herd of people. I'm, I'm before you today with my best friend, emotional support human, Risa <laughs> Keen, who really has helped make this chapter possible, drives me absolutely bananas. But being part of a herd is so important to what's working right now. And learning how to accept Reese mm. as Reese, as human mm. Reese, is um, not only just good towards a skill I want to learn, which is how to be an amazing friend. That's a skill I want. Uh, but you also gain something for yourself, which is a, it's a strange phenomenon. Um, I don't know if I answered your question at all, but um, Ron, I, I do want to hear a, a little bit more about the affirmation this morning it touched on something that at least i need to hear so i assume somebody in the audience might as well yeah yeah um i'll reference a couple of people that that are you know one was your past guest Gay hendrix who wrote um um the genius zone and then um the big leap, thank you. I always call it the upper limit. <laughs> I always do the, too. You know, it's probably, it's probably the second most popular book that I recommend, uh, and the big leap, absolutely. But he mentioned a guy on that episode named John Bradshaw. I'm not sure if you've read any of his his work. He passed away a while back, um, but he was kind of um, out there with healing and speaking to your inner child as someone who is present now and and available. And, and that's where that work for me began a few years ago. Um, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory real quick on how I came to this conclusion. It was an intuition. So I grew up religious. I grew up in the evangelical world and about six years ago left that world and, and, and yet have retained a, um, for lack of a better word, a, um, a love for the mystery and the divine that I, that, I, that, I can't get rid of and, and I'll steal Daniel's, uh, words for this, but, uh, when I lean it on it, it leans back. And when I seek it, 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 I, I find it and I am found also in it. And, um, and I've got different labels at different seasons in my life for what that might be. But one of those exercises, one of the ways that I've accessed, access that is to, if I believe in any part of that, if I really think that any of it exists, or at least act like any of it exists. And, and what I might label that is, is love. And I don't love myself, 
then I'm, then I'm not congruent. There's a part of me that is living in a kind of lie. And so uh, uh, two and a half years ago or so, I was entering into Lent season and really thinking about what I wanted to do, how I wanted to reflect and honor the divine in my life. And that's what came up for me was I'm not going to give up alcohol or actually I've, I've not drank in almost 10 years. I'm not going to give up, you know, the, the normal things people give up for Lent. And instead I'm going to try to actively love myself every day. I'm going to make room every single day to engage in an act, a physical act of love for myself. At the time it looked like taking time to write every day. That's all it was. And and since then, that has evolved into all kinds of paths of affirmations and things like that. And, and one of those that I do quite often is I will state what I'm proud of in my life. I will state what I love about myself. And I will state how I forgive myself. And, and re-hearing John or uh, um, I, uh, your guest, Hendrix, Gay Hendrix today, um, reminded me how important it is to love all the most unlovable parts of me. And, and so when I hit, hit the ground to go run, that's where my brain started going is what was, what are the parts that I don't want people to see? What are the parts that I'm ashamed to let around my children? The, the parts of me that I'm not proud of that, that I desperately don't want to pass on to my kids. I have a 15 year old, oh, wow. and a 10 year old. And, yeah. And what did you come up with and and what did you come up with ways to love those parts? <laughs> it's it's going to sound really simple, but but just to say you know, wherever I am in that stage of life. I grew up uh Sam, my dad was Ron, I was little Ronnie. Little Ronnie. Right? So if it's a young version of me, if it's a young version of me, I say yeah. little Ronnie. You know, I love you in your fear of being alone. I love you when you don't know where your parents are. I love you in the moment that your cousin molested you. I love you. It just, it, it's kind of whatever comes up for me in any moment. And, and, and I think that's the challenging part of an affirmation is sometimes we think that it needs to be a certain thing. Like it needs to be a, you know, X, Y, Z, um, prescriptive, affirmation and maybe sometimes it is if you if you don't have an accessibility to your imagination i think sometimes we can get cut off from our imagination but i've been doing it long enough that i can kind of do it on the fly and so whatever just feels tender to me at the moment right if i if i um you know i have this thing in me that says i'm not i've arrived because i don't own a million dollar house and i don't drive a crazy car right there's like this weird Part of me, you, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, Sam, about our comparison to other people. And there's a part of me that, that loves to compare and loves to wallow in the pain of that comparison. And so I was having to acknowledge that as I was running and go, I love you, Ronnie. I love the part of you that doesn't feel like he's arrived. I love the part of you that, that is ashamed of your lack of success. And... When, and that might be foreign or strange to, for other people to hear, but that's, I find a lot of value in it. And, and I can trace back all of my, my most profound healing and inner growth 
to facing my shadows or, or my unlovable parts and physically, when I say physically, I say it out loud. I say those affirmations. I say those love, those love things, those loving things to myself. When you say love, like, you know, that nonviolent guy, the guy who created um, the nonviolent communication. Yeah. Um, he talks about, it's really important to be specific, right? And he yeah. will challenge people when they're making requests of each other in couples to be specific. And so there's a specific action. When you say love, not that there's anything wrong with that word, but that also yeah. feels vague. It could mean so mm. many things. When you say I love must like, what does that look like? And what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I say I love this part of me and I accept it. And, and in my mind, I think what I'm meaning by that is every part of me is acceptable. Every part of me is worthy to exist. Mm. Every part mm. of me is allowed nice. to be here. Every part That's of beautiful. me yeah, is, is welcomed. Yeah. What came up for you, Sam? I saw you close your eyes. But you I was just taking talking. it all in. I'm, I guess I was grateful for the moment. I, I'm obviously in the company of some cool, <laughs> cool guys, and it's yeah. just it's just cool to be here and be talking to you. I was thinking a lot of stuff. You know, I, I hear that you're an ex-evangelical. That's interesting to me. Um, I I have some some deep uh, theological and uh, philosophical differences with the evangelical mm -hmm. American evangelical church. Um, and I also have a, a, you've probably heard in my podcast, I have a very deep respect for it as well. Uh, even though we mm. have mm. deep, deep differences and, uh, I would not want to live under their doctrine, but, um, you know, one thing that's come up for me is, um, I, I was just a, a West Coast white kid in a, you know, suburb of San Francisco, basically. And uh, there was no, like, culture for me, you know. So so it was just, you just took on the kind of greater American West Coast culture. And one of the things that I do appreciate about the evangelicals is they took on the project of building a culture within a culture. And, and you can mm. look at that, you know, you can look at a lot of different places. You can look at the Jewish American culture or the black American culture. Um, but you know, it, for anybody that's ever built anything, it's really fucking hard. And that, that's why when, when people yeah. criticize, yeah. I, I listen to it and I'm kind of like, okay, let's see if it's a good criticism. Uh, but when people are actively trying to build something, whether it be a new community or a new culture, I'm kind of like, okay, like I've tried to build things. I know how hard it is. So, um, I have some, you know, I know a lot of evangelical refu ref refugees. I know a lot of people damaged by the evangelical church. I also look at uh, some of their goals, let's say, like to, um, to, to not give children the, you know, not surrender them to the broader culture, but to say, hey, we, we have a, a thing and this is what it means to be this thing and to try and build something just from an undertaking perspective, I have appreciation for it. I, I hear some stories about the young people's dances and the, you know, the, the cool Christian rock and roll concerts. Now, if you're uh, not, you know, if you're not in that culture, you might look at it and say, that's really dorky. Um, but I still admire the, the task at hand. Like I was talking to somebody about BYU the other day. Do you guys know what that is? 
Yeah, that it's Brigham the yeah. is it Mormon? Yeah. Is it a Mormon university? Okay, yeah. now a lot yeah. of people might look at BYU kids and think, what a bunch of dorks. But I think of you know, uh, for the people that decided, hey, we don't want to send our kids to the American College Experience. There seems to be some sickness there, which I happen to agree with. Uh, let's try to make a, a fun, safe christian you know space for them to get to party yeah. and dance and be yeah. part of the ncaa and this go to a great business school let's say while trying to teach them our traditions yeah there there might be a lot of disagreements i have with the uh the teaching there but just as an undertaking especially when i look at how how divided um our country is since you you both are in America. Yeah. Uh, I really feel like you know the the time for some kind of national culture is over, and it's really about getting into your hometown, getting into your local roots, and, and building a culture within a culture. And you know it. <gasps> you know, for me, um, I had a great gig during COVID. I was teaching uh, young. Boys and girls, outdoor skills. That's one of the, the things I ended up with is I'm good with survival techniques. And um, so those are the heroes in my book. And, and that's the, my prescription. And that's my yeah. own prescription. How do I get deeper into my community? How do I play a bigger part? What do we do with the, the homeless residents of my hometown? You know, how do I enter that conversation yeah. and try and find a good balance? And... Um, that's so yes on, on one side you know like i'm sure there's a lot of evangelicals that would think um bad things should happen to me in the afterlife or if they don't think it should happen mm -hmm. to me they might think that's what's gonna happen and you know like yeah. uh yeah i'm just gonna yeah i just don't take that so personally i'm just kind of like you know whatever's going on in your coconut isn't gonna hurt my coconut and uh you, <laughs> you know, know that's <laughs> one of the that's okay part of the so Sorry, oh, I was just going to finish it off that, but, but the undertaking of saying, yeah. Hey, you know, like this is what we want to take on. This is what we want to build. And then to seemingly have built something and whether you think it's good or bad, I, you know, just as somebody who, who does build things, you know, I like, I like taking on projects and building things. Um, it's pretty easy to condemn. It's pretty hard to build. So I kind of look at the people making real stuff. And even if, we have totally different prescriptions of how it should be done. You know, if I think the evangelicals are doing it so wrong, I, I either should build something better or, you know, <laughs> or shut up basically. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys for some advice about my exit out of the evangelical world. And, uh, I got before this, before this started, um, I had to take about a 15 minute t break and, and take a little nap. Uh, I, my wife and I went to Portugal last week and I'm still kind of recovering from uh, jet lag. So I wake up at four, three <laughs> 30 and by 10, I was like, I need to like slow the hell down. And while I was sitting there, I was laying down and I had a memory come up of the last evangelical pastor that I had. And from the pulpit while we were still there, this was, um, 2005. Um, he calls my name and my wife's name from the stage. There's about 2000 people there. It, his podcast was syndicated. It went out to a lot of people. 
really well known. And from the pulpit, he goes, I had a dream last night that Ron and Morgan Cecil kidnapped me. <laughs> and it was really scary. And and describe and just goes into detail about this dream. And we're sitting there and kind of well known. We were leaders of that that community. Um, you know, it was a big decision for us to be there and stay there. And 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 we had been feeling like it was time for us to leave, not just that community, but like all of it, all of it. And and that was kind of the the nail in the coffin for us. And and yet, I find myself every once in a while feeling kind of irritated Hell that he yeah. said that. And kind of like, of course. you know, <laughs> and so you're confused by that. Was, I'm irritated hearing about it. <laughs> so here's what, here's my, my ask for you guys. Should I call him up and ask him to apologize? Whoa. That's not what I expected you to say. What do you yeah, think, Sam? I, well, uh, are you up for it? I think I, it scared, it scared me. And I thought maybe that's why I need to do it. It with no, with no, um, I don't need him to apologize. I don't actually need that, but I do. I do. May I feel like I may need to tell him that it was a hurtful thing to say, and it hurt my feelings, and hurt my wife's feelings, and was you know embarrassing in front of all those people. Yeah, like asking somebody to apologize. I don't think that even the way that even though you just phrased it like that, I don't think that, yeah that's what you would end up doing. You know. Yeah. But definitely mentioning to somebody like how it affected you might mean yeah. something to them. And also you might find out what it means to them. Yeah. So, uh, this is the kind of thing, like if, if you were my, um, if I was like mentoring you, which I mentor a couple guys and you know, who for whatever yeah. reason want to be mentored by me. And if you were talking to me about it, you know, the, the first thing we talk about it is timing. Cause this is something that you can do later and you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're ready for the moment. And second, you know, it's not about like this type of work is not about the pastor. It's about you. It's, it's about, yeah. You know, if you are feeling, and I'm just going to kind of fill in some of the blanks, you tell me if I'm totally wrong, but if you are feeling like, you know what, I wish, I wish Ron had stood up for me and my wife in that moment and you're feeling that. And now it's time to, mm. to go back and, and write that energetically with yourself and to say, you disrespected my wife on public airwaves. You know, you disrespected me and more, more importantly, you disrespected my wife and you don't have to apologize to me, but I just want you to know man to man that that was wrong. And I will always think it was wrong. Yeah. So whatever yeah. comes out of his mouth yeah. next is not the work that you're doing. The work that you're doing is just, just to right. have spoken those words and to have set the record straight. Now that could yeah. be, that could be done without directly contacting him too. You know, I, I, I would not recommend for some people. Mm -hmm going back to their uh, abusers or their, uh, you know, the, the great villains of their life, uh, which, you know, I, a lot of us play heroes and villains across different timelines. If you talk to the people that knew me 10 years ago, they might describe me as the villain of their life. Um, so it's, it's not appropriate to, to necessarily uh, start contact with everybody again. But if you're, if you're feeling the, the strength and protection. I don't know if you're religious, but if you're feeling like, yeah, you know what, damn it. I want to go energetically fix this. And, you know, I felt like for whatever reason, I didn't feel the strength to say it then. And now I'm going to say it now. I think it could be very cool energetically. I think it's the mm -hmm. same thing that we do when we go back to 
our inner child, you know, when we, like we just read Drama the Gifted Child in the book club. And I never quite understood, I have a lot of therapist friends, never quite understood why, you know, our childhoods are so important to go back to, why all the therapists want to keep going back there. Mm. Uh, But it's our genesis. And so I think if you go back to the genesis of something that's uncomfortable and try and, Mm. you know, when I do that kind of work now, there are, there's so much shit I'll let slide as a, as a, a little boy, but also as a young man, like I let people fuck with me deeply. And, um, Hmm. that Sam at that time didn't have the tools, didn't have the strength to even rebut what was happening to me. Uh, but when I do that work now, I do. And Mark Wolin, a really good friend of mine now, I go to his house sometimes up in Shasta. And uh, when he lived here, we used to go on hikes all the time. He was the, he was the one that, that put those words in my mouth when we were uh, doing some work together, which I think we did some on the podcast. Uh, but he just had me keep holding that space inside me and just going, you're safe now. Like that, that shy, mm. scared little kid grew up to be a pretty strong pretty confident, pretty courageous guy. I'm still afraid, but I do it anyway these days. You know, I, I do those mm-hmm. things anyway. And um, people will continue to fuck with me, but people will not continue to fuck with me in the ways that I have looked at, analyzed, and decided nobody gets to fuck with me that way again. So yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool. That's well said. Do you feel like... You should record it. <laughs> you're much better at setting boundaries now. Yeah, and you know, so, sometimes I, I go overboard with boundaries. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a real dance. Um, if if you, you know, sometimes if you nice. uh, take the prescription whole cloth, you'll end up with no friends, right? Because it turns out that your boundaries were just being an asshole. Uh, but but I try I try to when I'm doing it right. Let's just say. I try to honor some deep version, uh, you know, some deep part of myself that maybe at some point got dishonored mm-hmm. or I let get dishonored. Most of the pain and suffering in my life was actually caused by me, which is not the case for everybody, but it's a strange predicament to be in when you caused most of the wreckage in your life. Uh, <laughs> right. But that's just what's true for me. And... Um, yeah, it's a delicate balance. I, I've been saying lately, I'm on track to being a know nothing. Like the more I'm, I'm learning, and the more I've gathered, uh, the more I've gathered in this lifetime, uh, the the less things I can confidently say I I know. Uh, so it's really just a dance for me of just really trying to pay attention to what it feels like when I'm in a good vein, when I'm on the right track. And uh, almost navigating by feel. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. what my path is or what it looks like, but I know what it feels like to be on it. That's the, that's the, the spirit of the name of this podcast is. Tell me about it. What is cutting the sign? When you're cutting. Yeah. Cutting for sign is, is uh, an old archaic hunting and tracking term that means to pursue the thing that cutting you're for sign and cutting for sign is finding the footprints and the uh you know the films that we see where 
where a, tr a master tracker will see just the bent blade of grass or the broken twig or the drop of blood and they know they're on their path and and they're just going from you know language you and i might use is our next right step to our next right step our next right step cutting for sign is is for for me in this process like i'm i'm listening for my next step as i'm hearing you speak is you're sharing your experience to me and in the conversations that daniel and i have not only here but day to day you know we're we're practicing this in our conversations and in our friendship we've been friends for over a decade in the last two years it's gotten to be really really good because we're asking deeper questions and we're looking we're really really looking and and knowing that we're on the path can change in a moment right like sometimes you find the clue and you you find yourself in the clearing proverbially and then the next thing you know you can't find the next step but you know that you're in process to get there you know that it's still part of the process. We were joking about how sometimes we can be in the in that zone of like it feels like everything's flowing, and 90 seconds later, the phone conversation doesn't go correctly. You know, the Wi-Fi breaks, something goes wrong, and it feels like complete disaster. And I, I probably some childhood stuff, but my nervous system like can't handle that very well, and it just redlines immediately, and I'm <laughs> I feel like I'm completely lost, even though. A minute and a half prior to that, it was like everything is perfect and everything is fine. And there's and some something is, is there's something nice about that too, though, because we yeah. you and I have noticed a lot that our psyche and our emotional uh, state of being responds to what we're doing. That's part of like individuation, your inner world and your outer world becoming connected. Is okay. Mm -hmm. It can be a little frustrating that you can feel on the path one moment and then off, or maybe even experiencing some level of anxiety or depression you know, really quickly. But what you and I have noticed is that that is responding to our actions, you know, generally. Um, and we can do the right thing, keep ourselves fed, uh, keep the right people um, close to us, keep the right people away from us, um, do a habit that we maybe were neglecting and our emotional state will respond. Have you, you know what I mean? You've noticed that? You're talking to me or Sam? You. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There, there's a handful of things I know if I can return to, mm. like you said, the boundaries, taking supremely good care of the basics, getting good sleep, processing my thoughts, you know, those, those kinds of affirmative exercises, writing, writing is like my outlet where some, for some reason, the, the psychic pressure valve gets tripped <laughs> in the best way possible. Um, right. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you experience absolutely. the same thing, uh, Sam? Do you experience a real connection to your, your actions, to your emotional or psychological state and experience? Yeah, I think they have, I, I think they're completely connected. Uh, I was looking for the right words. I didn't find it, but that's, <laughs> that's how I will clunkily <laughs> say it. Um, yeah, I, I heard something early on when I first got sober that you can't think yourself out of bad thinking. You have to act yourself out of out of bad thinking. Okay. And um, I was talking yeah. to somebody the other day who was really struggling getting sober, just kind of, you know, in limbo, has one foot in one door and one foot in the other. Terrible place to be. You should either be a junkie or get sober. You should not do the in-between grounds. I'll just say that. But, um, you know, I, I kept just saying, like, look, this is your next move. Like, this is, this is it. You got to do this thing. 
and uh, she said, um, "You you say it like it's it's like you say it like it's easy and it's that simple and it's not." And my response was, "Well, it is simple, but it's not easy." And that's the way I think most of the great lessons I've learned in life are: is they're simple. The prescription is simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. And the things that help me the most are free. They take not a lot of time. You know, they take 30 minutes to do, to pray, to meditate, to try and connect with myself, to try and remind myself that this is the journey of Sam. Like I'm the the character of my own story and I got to make some decisions based off of that and learn how to experience that. Like I'm experiencing a Sam experience right now and, and <laughs> n- not every Sam experience is going to be good, but every experience I have is a Sam experience. And you, I believe I have 30,000 days about if I don't do anything drastic to, to learn how to experience that and to learn how to be Sam. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the best things I've ever learned are very simple and they're also not easy. You know, something I've noticed just in, in in just a peripheral intuition, not intuition, but just like barely on this on in the field of vision with you and your work, but it's come up several times is you seem to have a little bit of separation that allow that allows you to observe yourself. And even though you're in it, you're also out of just a little distance and you can refer to yourself as Sam having this experience. I don't know if that's something that you do experience or that you've created, but it's something that I'm observing. And when I observe it in my, when I can create that in myself, I just, the edge is taken off of the challenges of life. And there's just a little space that you can get in there and have some room to not be overwhelmed. Do you, can you speak to that or is that something you've considered or have thoughts? Well, I around? think that's a good observation. I also think that's something that you get just from talking to cool observant people. Cause I hadn't actually noticed that, mm. but as you say it, I go, Oh, that's really, that's some good information. I should write that down. Uh, you know, <laughs> and spend some time with that F- for me, what I am, what I am doing seems to be the best version of what I think works, you know, <laughs> right. Uh, I've ended up suicidal a couple times in my life, more than a couple times. I've had complete psychological breakdowns a couple times. And so um, I didn't consciously create that separation, but I think that must have just ended up being a a way to frame it. Uh, I'm somewhere in between, you know, really soak up the individual experience of Sam and also remember that you're you're one of seven billion that is a system or maybe it's nine billion how many billions are we at now reese eight he says eight (laughs) i trust him uh and um you know so on one sense this is not going to make a lot of sense but um to to try and really enjoy and be in the individual experience my experience not the world's experience and also to be a part of the world of humans is is the goal that is the challenge 
and people struggle with it. You know, you see people really worried about what the, what the person to their left is doing and what the person to their left is doing might affect them. But, um, you know, that's, that's the deal of being one of, here we go, 7.753 billion strange naked apes on the planet, you know, and, uh, we don't have a, a overlord yet. So, you know, no one's there to really corral us. We're, we're all experiencing this together that we, that know, we know of. of. Yes. <laughs> I have questions. Yeah. Sam. Yeah. Sam, the, um, that experience that is both, uh, individual and in the group, you've taken some time off in the past where you had to, had to really take care of yourself. And, and I was, I was on a, when I was first exposed to your, your, um, podcast, you know, it was like keeping up with it. And then, and then there was the big break and I don't, I don't like root around and, and why, and ask questions, you know, when I, when something that happens to something I follow, I'm not trying to figure it out. And so I wasn't aware that you, you kind of needed that break for yourself. You want to talk about that a little bit? Which one? <laughs> so if you look at the publication <laughs> dates, there's been lots of small yeah. breaks. There was one big break. Um, I was referring to the big break and, and I got to say, Sam, I mean, first of all, I actually found it really refreshing. We, we might have and, to, and yeah, I mean, if admirable. you're interested in that journey that we, we should probably have a conversation yeah. about that specifically, cause that's going to be a really long conversation. Yeah. The <laughs> short version is, uh, I felt like I was dying and I thought I was dying and I was, I was getting lab work every yeah. couple of days and I was trying to figure out what the hell was wrong with me. I've had depression <laughs> since I was a teenager. And this was just something separate from that. And uh, it's a big, long story I'd love to get into, but uh, it will eat up the remainder of our time and, and then <laughs> send me over. I, I'm enjoying talking with you guys. I'm happy to, to do it. You know, we can collaborate yeah. as much as you guys yeah. want. Um, but the, cool. the short version cool. is um, I thought I was dying. I felt like I was dying. I had very very little energy i had the most listeners i i had ever had the show was steamrolling its way upward uh we had some huge humongous bigger than any guest i've ever had guests lined up which fell through because of it and uh i had no energy i, I felt sick i was bedridden and it took I think a year and a half, if you kind of measure it from when I felt ready to even talk publicly again to when I first crashed mm. and burned. It was, oh. it was pretty drastic. It came on over about a month period. So I had a little bit of time uh, to kind of realize things are not going well. But I, I spent a good year in the underworld, which I believe is here in this existence. Um, I believe if you read the, the Greek myths and they talk about crawling back out of the underworld, I think that's a human experience. And, um, and it was a long process. There's a lot involved. I don't have a simple answer for how I got out because I basically had to, had to try everything all at once. I didn't have the time or the luxury to, um, to do it scientifically properly and control for variables. I just kind of like anything, anything. <laughs> Uh, to help yeah. and there was a there was a nationwide pandemic so doctors didn't want to see you 
you know, you had to fight to get into the hospitals. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I will say for anybody who, ha- whose life completely crashed and burned, um, COVID was a great time. Like if you crashed and burned during COVID, you can probably not even mention it and people won't notice cause they're all, they were so in their <laughs> own story of what was going on. So that was cool, but you know, it, it was tough. Um, yeah. The show went from very stable on its feet to it's still financially recovering. It went from very stable listenership to it's it's still recovering, and um, mm. and that's tough. You know, the the world loves momentum and it loves rising stars, and that's that's tough for somebody who's as unstable as I am. But as a uh, previous guest who really impacted me said, uh, his name's B.J. Miller. He's got um, he's got one arm, and then he's missing an arm and missing two legs. Uh, he told me my job here is to love to learn reality, and that's that's what's true. Is that I might not be able to competitively TikTok or Instagram or publish podcasts. Like, mm-hmm. but um, if I if I treat this work as something that I I want to do anyway. And that I want to exist anyway. Yeah. Um, then, when I'm 80 years old, I will have at least produced the work. R- Reese and I kind of have a thing going where it's like, you know, we don't know if we'll be able to pull this thing off that we're trying to do right now. We're in a new chapter. We're building a new business together. Um, Reese gave up some cool opportunities to be here. Uh, what we do know is when we're old farts. We'll be able to look back on a period of our times when we were working together, working together four days a week, building some cool stuff, learning how to be better friends who spend 32 hours a week together, no matter what. Right. That's hard. And um, and it will be a cool experience that we consciously decided to do. Yeah, yeah. That's a, I mean that's the the reason Daniel and I are here too. We want to do this. This is there's there's not even really the freedom yet to I don't even freedom's not the right word. I have ambitions, but I'm more interested in making this the best version of what I can do for myself in this process and have these conversations that are healing and good and are generative and and honest. Uh, thanks for sharing some of your experience around that, man. Well, it's even, I, it's even like our yeah. last episode that we did was just me and Ron talking about our daily check-ins, you know, like about once a day, Ron and I send each other a voice memo or hop on Zoom and we get the floor, each one of us, five or 10 minutes. The other person doesn't interrupt. And we say how we're doing physically, mentally, emotionally, and and um, some, spiritually. <laughs> so, and just doing that is just... There's a continuity. There's a thread of continuity that the other person sees, and then they have they can reference back over time, and you know, and they know you in a different way. And it sounds like you have that with, with Reese, and and uh, or I don't know, but maybe you have that in your life or not. And it's been invaluable. Yeah, it's it's a cool process. Yeah, Reese might know me better than I know myself. He doesn't show all his cards all the time. Yeah. So he, <laughs> so you never know, like, I might be like, oh man, I'm like I had a bad day today and Reese might've known at the start of the day. I don't know. You know, <laughs> would you say that's kind I of true for I, us? Uh, too, the, no. Would you say that? No, you wouldn't say it. I, Cause I feel like sometimes 
you Wait, and what I part? will what see part? each other's um we'll see each other's blind spots oh i'm sorry no I, I was saying yeah. i was saying no to um you know me and ron are just like eg- egregiously uh open with everything that's going on and i i've gotten the similar sense with with you i wouldn't say it's egregious but you know, I always have a, a real fondness for people who can play things close to the vest because it's just not who I am. And whenever I do do that, I have this like profound re- self-respect for myself. <laughs> I have a, I have a funny yeah, I story mean, I'd love to tell. So there was a period in our friendship where I was devastatingly heartbroken, like suicidal. I had gone to the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. I was just dead. And uh, Reese would come pick me up like every day and he wouldn't he wouldn't like he wouldn't give me any advice you know and i'd be desperate reese what do i do reese would say i don't i don't know and i'd go reese this is so fucked it's so fucked he'd go yeah it's pretty fucked and um and but he he wouldn't like latch onto it and he'd just drive me around and be like Mm. look at this this is my favorite cigar bar and cafe in san francisco you want to go to this cigar bar and cafe Okay, let's go to Cigar Bar and Cafe. We go to the Cigar Bar and Cafe. And then you go, look, at that's Coit uh, Tower. Do you know where Coit, how Coit Tower came to be? I, I don't know. Okay, tell me. And he'd just tell, he'd just tell me the story of Coit Tower. And then, um, you know, he'd tell me about weird things unrelated to my pain. And then each time he picked me up in his car, we'd just end up quietly sitting together, and I'd just be sighing, like loud, guttural mm-hmm. sighs, like... Uh, and he he wouldn't say what's wrong he just sat there and that's how we got through that chapter hmm. and so yeah reese has got his own mouth hmm. he's he's sneaky about it but it's not the direct approach it's just not not you know right it's but that approach affirms your experience you know and it also doesn't energize it in a negative way but it doesn't shut it down i might maybe it feels like that because maybe sometimes you're not getting the like you know, confirmation and being seen that that's happening, but it also feels somewhat observational and just present. I had a person I was spending time with recently and they would just be quiet a lot around me. And I was like, felt like I had to fill that, that silence a lot. But then I I know I don't want to do that or be that way. So I started to not. And then I just started to make little deals with myself. Like, I'm not going to talk until they say something. And then the thing that they would say would be really real. It would be like the cigar shop observation or uh, invitation, you know, it would just come from ground. And I felt that. And then we would flow into a conversation and then it would ebb and, and, you know, and, and then I went to a therapist I was talking, I was seeing um, and still am seeing. And I said, I told him about this person. And I said, I just like it. And I even asked this person one time, are you uncomfortable in silences? And they said, no. I was like, wow, why do I love that? Why do I feel so comforted by that? My therapist said, she said, she said, one of the best things a parent can give a child is non-critical, non-judgmental, safe presence and just being there without trying to affect. And I was like, that's what I need. And I realized that Mm. that was not only something that I casually liked, it became something that now is in full focus as a need need for myself, a need for when others around me, I, I actually value that. I love that. Sam, I wanted to come back to a couple of things on that one, man, on your, um, 
two things you said. Number one was the things that you find that work best in your life are um, free and accessible, not necessarily easy. And then you talked about your recovery, for lack of a better word. You know, you're coming out of hell, coming out of Hades, coming out of the darkness. And and you said you you had like a non-scientific approach. You just threw everything in the kitchen sink at it. Daniel, I call that um, using every tool on the Batman toolbox. And the Batcave. Right? It's the point of the movie where... <laughs> and the and Batcave. everything like in every Arkham Asylum. Every possible gadget. <laughs> I tried everything. <laughs> yeah, and it almost sounded like you know, the, the, the timing was a little bit like from that, would you say from that, that's how you've come to those kind of distilled, I don't know what the, know what the number is, maybe six, eight, 10, 12 personal experience exercises that you use on a day-to-day -day basis to be a better human, to, 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 to experienced Sam in your highest conscious, consciousable, that's not even a word, almost verb that one. <laughs> your highest mm, self? That's a good question. Did it come from that, would you say? Not quite. So what I would say is, um, I would say I have an awesome tool belt, right? I got a, I got a ton of great tools. Mm. We could, we could do a whole other conversation about those tools. Um, yeah. when I'm talking to other people, I have a guy in my life named Mike and, uh, Mike and I were talking a lot during a really rough period of his time. And I, gave him all my tools. I told him everything I thought he should do. And we didn't talk for a couple of years. Mm. He came back with a list thanking me for what his life had become. He's a firefighter now. He's homeowner. He's a good dad, mm. all this stuff. And, and I just thought, what'd you do, Mike? And he's like, oh, I just did everything you told me. <laughs> I thought, well, Nobody does everything. I, nobody does everything. I tell them not even me, you know, mm. that's crazy. Is that mm. what it looks mm. like when you follow the Sam program? That looks great. I want some of that. So for me, my challenge isn't, uh, <laughs> isn't awesome. having the right tools. It's discipline and it's consistency, mm. right? There's a huge difference between knowledge and embodied knowledge, right? Like what you know is yeah. jack shit. What you do with what you know is where it's at. And what you can do consistently with what you know is that's who you are. That's your character. Now we're talking about your character. I'm not the best at consistency yet. This is something I talk to my son about all the time. Mm. When I'm staying really good on top of laundry, staying really good on top of keeping my house beautiful for us, I point out to him, I'm like, I'm still learning these skills, son. This is not second nature and you have a chance right now to learn this much earlier than me. So for me, it's about discipline and falling in love with what, what I can do in a disciplined way manageably, right? Cause I can go off. I can, you know, I can burn rubber. You guys, I can take off. I have that ability to, to commune with Athena, God of war energy. And I can get to the gym every single morning at five and work out really hard and, you know, uh, do all the fucking things. But that will only last three months if I'm lucky. Most of the time it'll last about a month. So it's not about what I can do. It's about what I can do consistently. It's not about what I know. It's about what I can do. It's not about what I can do. It's about what I can do consistently. And that's the journey that we're on right now. The latest one I tried, you know, I do much better when I pray and meditate 
I also have been doing this thing where if I have big ideological differences with somebody, I start studying what they do. And it's a softening approach. Hmm. You know, if, I, if I'm angry at the liberals, I'll, I'll listen to brilliant liberals. If I'm angry at the conservatives, I'll listen to brilliant conservatives. If I notice I grew up during the 9-11 aftermath, I watched those buildings come down as a young man, and um, I might be a little bit Islamophobic, I listened to Islamic scholars. And so one of the things I did is I, I downloaded a Islamic prayer timer. And every time that timer mm. said, hey, it's time for this prayer, I did it. I didn't do their prayer. I did a prayer. Mm. But I just thought, I just thought, you know, yeah. this is a religion of discipline. Whether or not you think the disciplined, uh, strict version of that is good or not, they got one thing down. They got discipline down. And uh, I, I started playing with that idea. So... We're still learning, you know. I am in a phase right now where, hey, I've been I've been meditating and praying every morning for the past three days. That came after a pain period of forgetting to do it for about six weeks, noticing things slipping away. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is something that we could continue to talk about and check in about, you know, the journey's still alive. I'm not speaking from the mountaintop. We're hanging out at the trailhead, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a strong believer in the morning prayer meditation myself. I mean, that's something that I've retained from my evangelical days is my life works better when I am having a conversation even if it's to the, to the void. I don't need it. I don't need anyone to be there, but for some reason when I speak it, feel it, think it, I get answers. I get I get the next right clue. I get I'll the call next it right the cosmic step. muffin. There's that a seems, lot of value in there. Yeah, that seems to be accepted by all. It seems to have a very good interfaith play. Like you know, you don't know that Muhammad <laughs> or Jesus don't like the cosmic muffin. They could you know they could enjoy each other's company quite a bit. There could be some interfaith stuff going on there. But yeah, no, <laughs> I agree completely. I was an atheist for four years who started praying to nothing. It was very simple. It was just, mm. if it's out of my control, if it's literally out of my control and I'm worried about it, I give it to blank. And I don't know what it is, but I, yeah. the process of prayer is to create some kind of sacred space. We're creatures that can make meaning, right? When we're little kids, we can make stuffed animals meaningful. Yeah. So we can make, we can basically make matter. We can make things matter. And uh, to create a sacred yeah. space, this is square one. We call this a sacred space. If you're at square one, you're on sacred ground. That's what we say around here. But to create a sacred space to say, hey, here's all the shit I can't control. Here's all this stuff out of my control. Right now, I am surrendering it. Whether that's to a personal God, like one of the Abrahamic religions, like Christianity or Islam or whether that's to a more abstract God or some kind of, you know, loose spirituality. I think it's just a really great practice and it's really good to, to make things matter and to have something sacred and, and holy, be able to create holy or sacred sites in your life and to be able to, yeah. I think it was Confucius, Confucius who, who said, do everything as if it's a religious ritual. Like make everything that important. Hmm. I don't do that, but I, but I do, I do that for twenty minutes in the morning at least, and that seems to work pretty good. Well, your level of presence, even just body language uh, wise, here, you know, is is noticeable, you know, and so it it really means a lot to us. We were actually speaking. We do this is called cutting for sign, which is a tracking hunting metaphor or state uh, phrase. 
And so we've structured our podcast is before we do about five minutes, we call the draw, like pulling, pulling back the draw. We just take aim at what we would, what we intend in this conversation. And then we do the cutting for sign. And then when you leave, we could do something called the field dressing, which we take what we, you know, found and we, let's make some meaning out of it. You know, let's at least start that do process. Do you guys uh, and hunt? Kurt, Ron and does. Do you both shoot archery? I shoot just a little bit, but Ron is like a hundred times. We more should hang than out sometime. I got a, I got a bow. I'm pretty good. Oh, well, let's go shoot, man. Yeah, let's we, go we, shoot. Uh, we, we can meet in Chico, right? Is that kind of in the middle? Hundred percent. I'll drive yeah, my man, bow up. That sounds great. I'm coming down there to finish a book, so so maybe we can uh, hang out and shoot some bows. Let me know. Smoke cigars. Well, Ron also has a huge. Uh, um, a strong feelings and ro very romantic feelings and relationship with San Francisco. I'm sure he would love to cruise. Well, yeah. If, if you guys want <laughs> to do some kind of online course or something like that, come film it here. We'll capture it. Right. We'll make something that you guys cool. can, can cool. be really proud of. And, uh, if there's any, uh, collaborations, stay connected, S staying connected to other creators saves my life. Yeah. guys. And, uh, sometimes it's very hard for me to create just, on my own. Hmm. So just getting to be a participant yeah. in what you guys are up to is very cool. I like your guys' energy. Now I'm curious to hear the field dressing. So when it's out, please let me know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> hey, before you jump off, Sam, thanks for all that. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm just pleased as punch that you're here and, and your presence and all that stuff. Anything you wanted to say about Square One or, or your, what you're doing or anything like that mm. before you jump off? Well, you off? can go to www dot square one dot studio which now you'll see that the thing has updated yeah uh, that we basically if um if people want to if they've been working on something whether it's just capturing their life story whether if it's something that they teach whether if it's something that they've learned or want to teach uh you can come here you can even make a vacation out of it come to san Anselmo, california it's paradise down here and come film for four days we'll get it edited up we'll make something beautiful and we have a stage, you know, a stage is a really important symbol. It's not a room in a corner. We literally put a stage in this small room, even though there's no place for the audience. And it, it's, it's just a place for you to take the ideas that you've been working on to get on that stage, symbolically elevating your ideas to its rightful place and to mm. deliver it. And, um, I think Beautiful. for my purposes, you know, when I started my show, there was only one requirement it had to sound really good. And so I called my buddy who's a sound engineer and I said, I need you to teach me how to make this sound really good. Cause if I'm going to make something, it's not going to sound like shit. It might be shit, but it's not going to sound like <laughs> shit. And it's the same, you know, it breaks my heart. Some of the beautiful things I've, I've seen filmed on a cell phone that looks like a potato and sounds like a potato. And so I think it's just, <laughs> just, just trying to give people an opportunity, access to really great equipment and just to, really um, yeah. take their, you know, really treat their work as, as the sacred thing that it is. Yeah, yeah. Solid, man. Appreciate that, Sam. Um, recurve, longbow, oh, compound, compound bow, man, what do you man. shoot? <laughs> I, wish I, was, I wish I was uh, disciplined enough for a, a recurve or a longbow, but no. <laughs> I love the compound. Oh, I love how, how easy it was to dial in and learn and... I think that's a gr I think it's a great meditation. I think I don't know if it's a, a guy thing or a human thing, but what I did notice is in the mornings when I shot, uh, just for practice, 
-hmm. The second you pull back that string, the second your eye starts looking at the reticle, starts looking at the target, everything else disappears because it has to. And so that... Dude, we could probably do a whole episode just on archery. The the archer's paradox. I'd love to. The, Please invite me back. I of... want to come back. Can I be a regular? You know. Okay. We'll do. Ron Ron had recently had his prized bow. He basically made the shot of his life. He called me up one day, this few couple of weeks ago or a few months, a couple months ago, whatever. And he was like uphill, had to had to go through a bush, you know, and then hit a, like uncleared target it was during a competition um or at least on the course of a competition so it makes a shot of his, his life and then in my memory it's like basically the next day his his whole setup got stolen out oh, of his car man. and he you know i've seen him start to dial this thing in and he's he's a very very good shot as i understand it and then he had this little synchronicity happen where he went um out to the archery ranger was walking around and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but someone lent him their recurve and he was like, fucking recurve. Like, I don't, it's just not his mind. You know, his mind is like, let me geek out on, on all the little itty bitty little things I can control. And then he's, and then you got this thing where you just, and he said, I don't know where it's fucking going every time, you know, I, I let it go. And, um, but then when it came time to replace his, his setup, he replaced it with a recurve. He got that into it that fast. Wow. And I, I really thought, Ron, that that was a metaphor and a, a symbol mm. in your life, a little place where your life got dreamy and your inner world became your outer because, you know, there's a lot you can't control in your life. And to sort of do the Luke Skywalker, let go of the, you know, the little thing from your eye. And that's, that's what's literally being done with a bow. And I think that the transition to a recurve in your life could potentially, my reading, could potentially be a meaningful metaphor for how you're living life. Well said, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go have fun at 20-yard shots, and then you can impress us with the 80-yard shots. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I live in downtown Portland. There's an archery range actually like just up the hill from here, and it's free, and it's beautiful, and... and um, I sp I've spent a tremendous amount of time up there and even I live in a little apartment in the, in this neighborhood and may or may not have put some holes in my apartment walls, uh, here as well. Cause I, like you said, man, I get the, you get those reps in, you put, you draw and the world yeah. changes and then you release and then the world needs to change again. And, and mm -hmm. I, I don't care what the mode, what kind of bow it is or whatever, like there, there's, a, they're kind of different things, but the same thing happens when the arrow is gone, you're never getting that arrow back. And, and sometimes it seems like a miracle when it goes down there. And it also is like a major dopamine button <laughs> down there. Like every time it hits the target, there's like that, that release that is uh, drug like. So I can't wait to nerd about nerd out about that. Hey, Daniel, thanks for saying that dude. Appreciate that. I'm excited about this next stage of learning to shoot, uh, instinctually and, um, see how it goes. There's a competition coming up this summer. I'm going to see what, what we can do. Oh. Sam, thanks, man. Appreciate you. We'll let you go. And uh, we'll keep talking. I think we're probably going to have a lot yes, more fun any, together in any the future. Yes, any cool collaboration yeah. you guys have, it is great to be a part of something rather than just be a dude talking into a microphone alone. So let me know. Yeah. I'm open, I'm open to a lot of you cool guys. Field dressing, everybody. Sam Lamont. That 
that guy's awesome. Fuck. He's a cool dude. Yeah. That actually went better than I thought it was going to go. And I thought it was going to go really well. You know, yeah. like there's something yeah. about it. I read this little or not. I listened to one of his like eight minute episodes on this podcast. He just calls it a life update. He yep, does one every, one too. I don't know, year. Yeah. And he was like, hey, I'm creating this studio and come down, you know, anyone come down and use it. And I was like, am I hearing this right? <laughs> <You know>? mm. <laughs> what a great idea. If you build it, they will come and then just invite them. Yeah. I think one of the qualities that Sam brought is a quality that only comes from going through hell and going through your own inner darkness. And, and I heard him say that, that, um, before on the podcast of saying hell is real, you know, the underworld that, uh, Greek mythology references is real For sure. and, and, and we're in it and, or we can be in it. We can be. And I think that's what integration is about is recognizing it and then deciding to find the value in that experience. Cause one could turn and say, that fucking sucked and they would be right. And, but then it could, that there's a path that could lead to perpetual self-pity. There's a path that could lead to being stuck and, and repeating, you know, continually getting back into those hellish landscapes, or there's a path. And some, some of us are fortunate enough to have a Reese in our life who just listens to us, give the guttural sighs and, and then gently go, yeah, you know how Coit Tower started? <laughs> and then him using every, you know, I loved how he's like, not only every tool in the tool belt, every tool in the Batcave and every tool in Arkham Asylum, like, he got it, man. I mean, that's that's what it's got to be. I really am kind of taken aback by what he's doing in the world. It's like this sense of dropping out of the race and settling yeah, back into his values. It. You yeah. Know? And... That's a good way. I just keep thinking of this scene in the show Friends. I was not a Friends person. I was more of a Seinfeld person during the, those years. <laughs> but there's this one scene that where Phoebe, um, she does something and someone's like, let me give you some money. Thank you so much for this little thing you did. Let me give you some money. She was like, no, 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 no. I don't need money. They go, come on, let me give you some money. She's like, fine. Just buy, buy, me, a, buy me a Coke. So they buy her a Coke and then she opens the Coke and there's a finger in it, you know? <laughs> and then she gets a ton of money from Coke, you know? That's but hilarious. that was like the last of like three or four things that had happened. She kept being like, no, I don't, I'm good. Yeah. You know? And then the world would give her something even greater. And yeah. I feel like he's doing that. I don't know really. This is just, a sure. sense. but first of all, I value those moves because they're not, they, they lean on a value of mine, which is to not act out of fear or fearful desire, yeah. you know? And he's essentially, he's listening to what his actual need is, which is yeah. to connect with people. He's noticing something about what he calls everyday people or normal people, regular people. Um, and he's like, I want more of that. And gems and success and all of that stuff, you know, notoriety, fame. And I don't get the sense he wants that, but that stuff can also come if you, yeah. Just by doing the thing that you love. And then what's ironic or not ironic, but kind of neat about that is that you're already satisfied. You know, yeah. if you run like meet your needs each day and you really live by your values and don't let the goal become this crazy monster, then you can potentially be happy and also in an, in a, 
as an unintended side effect, achieve that goal. And I just feel mm-hmm. like what he's doing is a good example of that. And you can see his energy about it. You can see the peace on his face, the excitement. Yeah. And I am a total proponent of that. I think that's probably one of the clearest examples of not living by fearful um, desire that I've seen. And also yeah. bringing your whole psyche along, all the parts that need to be taken care of. He's like, let's go on this adventure. What adventure is that? It's to take over the fucking world and be the greatest. And the psyche's like, I can't catch up. Parts of the psyche's like, yeah. I can't. And so he goes, well, yeah. you know, now it's like, well, how about we have collaborative experience and we build this great studio and we invite people and the psyche's like fuck yeah i'm i'm i mean i can be taken care of you know mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what i sense yeah i loved his phrase uh this is the same experience and and i th- i'm thinking about that for me what do you mean like what is the what is the ronald experience what is the ronnie oh the same experience little ronnie full experience for me because you know there is the the individuation there is the collaboration there's the being part of everything and and to your point just now like when we throw those big gargantuan things out in front of us that we really feel like we want but then it shuts down some part of us right like it is like i, I can't can't compute yeah. can't do this you out distance yourself what to do. yeah yep yeah or do you just straight so up abuse yourself with the process yeah. well said well said so there seems there's there's some temperament to the what he's saying when he says when he i hear the same experience i'm hearing temperament about hey i'm going to stretch but also know that i'm going to need a lot of care and and him describing the tools that he uses the community that he needs around him that he needs to be around people that's what i mean that's value to anybody it's value to me as i'm listening powerful powerful to hear yeah um the last thing i'll say about him is uh is i love how he challenges himself to learn about the other, the things in his life, the people in his life that he feels like challenged a gangster, by. Gangster man. Yeah, that's a yeah, that is a gangster move. That is such a strong, <laughs> strong move too. Because yeah. what that does is that thwarts the ego immediately <laughs> from deciding that it's somehow superior to whatever whatever is in opposition to the ego. Imagine if everyone on earth did that once. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's what a great idea. I completely agree. Yeah. I'm so into it. I'm curious what that conversation meant to you if you were to field dress the large carcass of what we just <laughs> shot <laughs> or the the carcass. thing that we just trapped you know the whatever we yeah. just found you know what does it mean to you yeah into that thing yeah la- okay last thing i was going to say about um his experience or the the experience i had here was when i asked for advice around that uh confronting that guy mm. and and because it, I hadn't thought about that in a while, but every time I have thought about it and today was in particular, like, I feel, I feel anger. I feel, you know, some resentment towards that person. And, and I have a, probably a crazy character built up in my mind. That's not real about who they are, but I, but my, my feeling is I probably do need to say something to that person about, about my experience in that. And I loved hearing Sam talk about it because he like stepped into this like fatherly role. I mean, we're, we're a decade older than him, I think at, at least. And yet I'm listening to him talk. I'm like, that's actually very good fatherly advice. And I'm going to hear that from a fatherly place. I'm just going to decide that's what I'm going to, how I'm going to take this and, and need that, you know? 
So that was, well, that, that was, was great. It was excellent advice. Yeah. 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 He, totally. he phrased that and that, that advice was really, really solid. I, I would add to, to the in, input on that subject that you might want to be careful with that because mm. what if that preacher, pastor, whatever he is, emails you back, texts you back, says back to you something along the lines of, well, I'll pray for you and hope that you come to a greater knowing Ronald and because, and he's, he doubles down on what he said. Yeah. 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 I don't think I need any outcome from him. I think that, and I don't know if I'll even do it. I'm not even sure. Understand, but if know. he does double down yeah. and nothing is changing, if it actually has gotten worse, would that yeah. make things worse for you? I think, I think this for me, as I was laying down earlier today, it's more about saying what I feel nice when it's appropriate and not letting people walk on me. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, to Sam's point earlier about like, Hey, I'm in my coconut, you're in your coconut <laughs> and whatever you do over there is fine. Like, you know, I think you should do it. You should do it today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, man. Just do it. I think I've got his phone number on here. Maybe I should. Ron, it's it's here. a well-intended need of yours. You're meeting. You've asked yeah. people about it. I can see in your just do it. Don't even think about it yeah. too much. Just just make the make the thing happen. You know, it's it's and move your life forward.